Welcome back to the Speakeasy Law Podcast and part four in this series. Okay, here's what the power of chapter 13 can do for somebody. Had it, I would say, older woman come to see me. She was single, she was on social security and had a part-time job. She was paying, at the time she came to see me, like 15% on a car note at like three fifty a month. And it was, she was going to be winding up paying it for five years. She was paying credit cards. She was paying medical bills. She had personal loans and she had um, like store cards and stuff like that. And we sat down and I talked to her. I said, ma'am, normally I would put you in a chapter seven to get rid of all of this consumer debt, but you'd be left with your car payment to either surrender the car, give it back. Then you have to go out and buy another one or you keep the car. And you keep paying under a reaffirmation agreement. That's an agreement to keep the car and keep paying it the three fifty a month for the five years. I said, or we can look at this a little bit differently, and I can put you into a chapter thirteen for three years, and your payment on everything would be two hundred dollars a month, including your attorneys' fees and trustees' fees. And she looked at me like I thought she thought I was nuts. We were able to cram down the car cram down the interest rate to like $150 a month. We'll talk about cram down in a minute. I was going to say, you have to explain what cram I down will cram means. down and I'll talk about cram down in a minute. But we were able to cram down the vehicle, pay nothing to the unsecured creditors, and pay her car off in two years shorter at $150 a month less. That's the power of Chapter 13 when used properly so for the benefit of the you, client. You saved her about $15,000. Uh, well, $150 a month for three years. No, it was $150 a month for three years. But I'm paying everything off in the three years, plus another 150 or 350 a month for two years. I don't have a calculator, but yeah, it was a lot of money. And she was blown away by it. And she said, I never thought I'd file bankruptcy in my life, but this sounds like a good deal. And I was like, this is what Chapter 13 was created for, to give an individual like you a fresh start. We don't want to take your car. We don't want to take your stuff. We want you to pay what you can afford to pay and come out better on the other end. That's what bankruptcy does. When a corporation files for bankruptcy, nobody cares because, oh, they're just restructuring. Well, think about a mini restructuring for an individual where every dollar matters. And we're going to put that every dollar to the best possible use for you, the consumer, so that once you see where your dollars are going, then you want to make sure they're put to the best possible use. So it's funny to see people who come in where money's flying out the door. And then all of a sudden, when you put them into a bankruptcy, they're all like, well, wait a minute. This goes here. This goes here. This goes here. I'm spending that much for food. Oh, my God. How much am I putting in my car? Oh, my God. That's outrageous. And it gets it's like the great enlightenment or awakening when people actually realize I can put my money to good use. I mean, you think about it. You take somebody who was paying six or seven hundred dollars a month in credit cards. Well, once you get through the bankruptcy, they don't owe credit cards anymore. Well, why don't you take that six or $700 a month and now start buying the credit card stocks? Buy American Express stock. Make them work for you. Buy Bank of America stock. Make them work for you. Now you own the company and they're working for you. And people are like, wow. But it's really nice to show people how on just what they're earning after bankruptcy, how they can retire as a millionaire by just taking the same dollars and reallocating them to their 401k plan or this, or that, and they see on the same dollars that now all of a sudden, I don't, I, I, on the same amount of money, I can retire one day, and their eyes are like, I like this plan, because now they're seeing a different future than they were, what they were seeing a half an hour before they walked in the door. 
or even just that they can reallocate those dollars to do the things that they need to do. Yeah. You know, it's it's medical expenses. I, all the time I see people and, and you, you say, well, how much you spend a month on medical? And they're like, zero. And I always stop for a second. I'm like, zero. And then they start telling you about, well, I need to have this done. I need to have this done. I need to have this done. But I haven't had the money to do it. Well, that's what we're trying to do with bankruptcy. We're trying to take that $600 a month that you were spending on credit cards and giving you the $400 a month to go to your cardiologist, giving you the money to go see your ophthalmologist, going to see your your dentist, whatever the case may be. The one, you know, we go back and and we talked about the hierarchy of debts before. I, I can't tell you how many people come in and say, I don't get my prescription medication because I had to pay my credit cards. And, and it's, it's those type of things, just like Carmen was talking about. It's that reallocation of dollars to what's necessary. And eventually, even in Chapter 13, your payment plan is going to end, right? Yep. You're, it's three years. It's five years. It's somewhere in between. And then that allocation of dollars, even that payment that you've been making to the trustee, now you reallocate that to, to your retirement. You reallocate your, your that to, to whatever. Great example, you know. If you can add a couple hundred dollars extra to your your mortgage payment at the end of a chapter thirteen, you've just saved yourself hundreds of thousands of dollars in interest, likely over the life of it. But that's really you know the best description I've I've heard, and, and Carmen's story is exactly right. It's the reallocation in a chapter thirteen to allow you to cover your necessities. I always tell you're not going to go out and get rich while you're in a chapter thirteen. You're not going to have all this extra money laying around that you're suddenly going to travel. That's not the purpose of a chapter 13. The purpose of the chapter 13 is to reallocate for those necessities, to make sure you're getting the things that maybe you've put off along the way, the health care. Maybe it's the, you know, the maintenance on the vehicle. Maybe it's whatever those things that you haven't been able to do to reallocate those funds. But where the real enrichment comes is when the bankruptcy is over, and now even that bankruptcy payment can now be reallocated into retirement, investment, future planning. That's really the secret to a good chapter 13. All right. So let's kind of shift gears. Um, so for everybody that's listening, you know, we have our attorneys uh, from bankruptcy. David Lampley actually handles chapter sevens while David Feynman handles the chapter 13. So Lampley, tell us about chapter seven procedure. I don't know now? if that's fair to say that yeah. David Lampley only handles Chapter 7. Well, I, I, I get them both. Sorry. I, yeah. I, I, I mean, but that's the, the reality. He of primarily it, handles well, Chapter no, 7. I, I really it's, just, it's more of a form of the, of the office. That's I mean, how we yeah. operate. We both yeah. handle the cases, issues come up, but he manages the Chapter 7 cases, and I manage the Chapter 13 cases to make sure that, that you know, in our office, things go through a process. But uh, we both deal with any issues that come up if if we're the ones there to deal with them. Right. But, and and uh, again, I, I don't know that there's as much of a difference between a Chapter 7 and a Chapter 13 as people on the Internet want to make it. Yes. Because from the time you start your bankruptcy process, I'll do a 30-minute consultation with you and we're talking, right? And we've gone over your assets. We've gone over your liabilities. And it goes back to what we talked about earlier. You may not know something at that minute. That 30-minute consultation, you might not think of this asset you had over here or that asset you had over there. The bottom line is the paperwork that we request from somebody is exactly the same whether they're filing a Chapter 7 or a Chapter 13. The process that you're going to go through working with our paralegals and our administrative staff, exactly the same whether you're filing a Chapter 7 or a Chapter 13. It's only when we sit down to review these things for the for the signing and we say, 
now that we've got everything in front of us, let's talk about it. Sure, in an initial cons consultation, we're going to make a suggestion. But really, the procedure up until you file isn't any, any different. And even after you file, both Chapter 7 and Chapter 13, you're going to have a 341 meeting. Both Chapter 7 What's and a 341 meeting? That's when you, you meet with the trustee and the trustee reviews the documents that you filed. You're going to get a list of 15 to 20 basic questions. Have you filed all required tax returns for the past four years? Have you listed all of your assets? Have you listed all of your liabilities? It's the opportunity for creditors to ask questions, but like we talked about earlier, who are the creditors that come to the creditors meeting? Spouses, business partners, those type of people. American Express, City Card, they're very rarely, if ever, showing up at, at a 341 meeting. I've done hundreds, hundreds, and hundreds, thousands of 341 meetings. I think I've had a creditor appear seven, eight times. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it, and I've only probably had it once or twice when it wasn't a business-related or a, a spouse. And, and you're talking 14 years, probably, we're probably closing in seven, 8,000 cases over that time at this point. Oh, yeah, more than that. Um, We've had some doozies. But, but, but so, you know, I, I always hesitate, and I, I know for a podcast, you want to say, hey, what's the difference between a 7 and a 13? But really, the paperwork's the same. The process is the same. What's different is what we just talked about. How do you deal with it? In a chapter seven, there's three ways to deal with it. You're either going to pay back the value of your stuff to the trustee, you're going to surrender stuff to the trustee, or you're going to do a combination of the two, where I surrender some things and pay it back. Chapter thirteen doesn't have. I'm sorry. Chapter seven doesn't have the option to cram down the car. It doesn't have the option to cure and maintain a debt that you're behind on the ca the, the house. But the process, I don't think it's that different. And, and the effects on the backside of it, if you looked at a point in time three years from filing a Chapter 7 versus three years from filing a Chapter 13, you're probably in the same place at that too. Could be. So I, I don't know that you know there, there's really that big a difference between a 7 and a 13. It's, it's more about the process and the benefit than it is sitting here saying, oh, if you're a chapter seven, you go over to the right. If you're in a chapter 13, you go over to the left. We deal with them the same. Well, I, th I think really what the point is after the 341 meetings where the cases diverge into different tracks. And as Dave was saying, in a chapter seven, you're really, if you're trying to keep stuff, if, if it's a no asset case, you're just waiting for paperwork and the case is done. Yeah. If there's, and when I say no asset case, I mean, you have no assets that are not protectable by the protections afforded to you by the law. If you have... What in the heck does that mean? So, you know, when you file bankruptcy, you own stuff. We list stuff. I think we went over that uh, earlier. You list everything you own. You put a value to it. And the law says you can protect certain things. Everyone, hopefully in Florida, knows that they own a home. 100% of any equity in the home is protected, um, with some exceptions in bankruptcy that, that could change that result. But... Um, we will talk to you about those, but you know, stuff, if you don't own, have a home, you can protect up to 5,000 per person, um, a thousand dollars on top of that towards a vehicle, uh, per person per vehicle. So one vehicle, not per vehicle. Um, but you know, other, other laws might apply if you come from other States. Uh, nevertheless, certain things are going to be protected. And what we do is we call those exemptions and we exempt them from the estate. And the chapter base of that means that the creditors and the trustee can't get their hands on them. So what we're concerned about with the creditors and the trustee is how much is not protected 
And what is that equity position that you have? If you have $10,000 in stuff of which we could protect five, the trustee is going to be looking for $5,000 worth of stuff to either auction or sell back to you. And that sale back is basically a negotiation. Trustee, you don't know what you're going to get at auction. Maybe you'll get five. Maybe you'll get seven. My client will offer you four. Will you take the deal? And he says, no, I'll take five though. Client, do you want to pay him five? Here are the terms. You know, it's a negotiation. That's that's how seven works. With a 13, it's all about what your budget looks like and what we're doing in the case. Are we making up arrears? Are we paying back IRS debt? Uh, what do we have to get paid in the case? And what's your monthly payment going to be? And we put forth a plan right away at the time that the case is filed that you're going to pay X dollars per month for 36 months, for 37 months, all the way up to 60 months uh, towards whatever goal we're trying to meet in that case. Um, and, you know, your payments, that's what 13 does. You make your payments and we spend the next three, five, four, whatever it turns out to be number of years continually looking at the budget as, as time goes on, as things change. And um, at the end of it, you get your discharge if you complete your plan. All right. So it sounds like the end, end plan is always to get the discharge, which goes no. perfectly into... Disagree. Here's the end plan. And here's the way I explain it to my clients. Well, my Let question me... was, I wanted you to explain the discharge. So if you can wrap no, that we're, into we're not the even close to the, We're not even close to the discharge yet. The game plan is total annihilation. You're playing <laughs> chess in every game. I'm in the white pieces. You're the other color. I want to move all my pieces across the board and eliminate all of yours. That's total annihilation. That's victory for us. That means we win for our clients. Everybody else, they pick up the scraps and they go home defeated. That's victory in a bankruptcy case. Does it always happen? Sometimes we may lose a pawn. But that's the game plan in every case. To me, the difference of Chapter 13 and Chapter 7 comes down to the attorney and what the attorney can do for you. You got to remember when you pick your attorney and you sign on the dotted line that you've retained him, you've made a choice. And that choice is sometimes good or that choice is sometimes bad. Things go wrong in cases. Am I wrong? Things change in cases. We've am I had, right? We've had people come to us from other lawyers before. Well, let me, before no, you go there, I, I, I let just me just want to say, wanna, oh, be careful when you pick a bankruptcy lawyer. Yes. It is very hard. For another lawyer to jump into a case and pick up the pieces because of the rules of bankruptcy and some of the limitations that are put on the the practicality of actually being able to jump in and do it. Um, it, It makes it very tough if there's enough funds and to be able to jump in. Sometimes pro bono opportunities are there, but... Well, it, I wasn't it, even going. It, it, I wasn't know, even listen, going listen. there. No, but I wasn't listen, even going there. I want to. You're on. You're on the right track. Just, but let me finish my thought. Go ahead. What I was going to say is, when you hire a bankruptcy attorney and you need to do a Chapter 13, you better make damn well sure that that person has handled those types of cases before, because there are Chapter 13 tra- bankruptcy attorneys out there who aren't good at it, and they will screw your case up, and it will cost you money. And that's what I have a problem with. So when it comes down to doing a 13, I have no problem with the client doing a 13. I have a problem with the attorney who's conducting the orchestra. Because if the attorney's conducting the orchestra in a wrong manner, the music's going to suck. Guess what's going to happen to you? It never costs the attorney more money. It always costs the client more money. It never costs the creditors more money because the bankruptcy trustee is watching every nickel coming through the estate, meaning every dollar that gets paid out in Chapter 13. How many times have you seen... Bankruptcy payments go down 
because, not because of the debtor's income, but because, oh, well, we're just going to pay the creditors less. It doesn't happen in 13. The, the bankruptcy trustee always wants the creditors to be paid more. If somebody's not watching the debtor's dollars, then that debtor's going to pay more because the attorney is lazy. And that doesn't happen here. And that's why I, that's the difference between me and a 13. If a person needs a 7, they're going to get a 7 here. If a person needs a 7 and then a 13 follow-up, which we call a Chapter 20, then that's what's in their best interest and that's what they'll do. But if they need a 13, I can look a client in the eye and say, if you're going to pay out $100 a month for 60 months, that is because you absolutely have to. And you're not going to pay a penny more. And there's not an attorney in the freaking state of Florida who's going to get you a better deal than we can. Nobody else can say that to a client. Nobody. I dare them. I've argued with the Chapter 13 trustee over $3 increase. <laughs> because that. it To just, me, that's music to my ears. I love that. It just... I didn't know where they were coming up with their numbers and why the $3 was different. Increasing a dollar, I understand, because I always round down on my numbers if it comes out to a sense. I let my client pay a little lower in the beginning of the case because they're ultimately going to round up to the nearest dollar and to make it fund. So I just want to make sure that whatever opportunity we have to pay less, we're going to do that before it increases. But when it's $3, I know I'm not rounding down that much. And I've gone over every single number. And sometimes it comes down to a miscalculation on the trustee's part, believe it or not. They are not always right. And I will see other attorneys on these now Zoom sessions of court. And when we do our read-in dockets where they talk about the case a little bit and what the payment needs to be to confirm a case, which is what you try to do once you file a plan, once the confirmation of the plan means it meets every requirement to finish the case out and get your discharge under the law. So the trustee will tell the attorney it needs to go up like $150 because of X, Y, and Z. And I can tell the attorney is just trusting the, tr the, the trustee that the numbers are right. That's $150 a month for how many months? Well, whatever long the, the case was, be it the maybe remainder of 36, years. remainder of 48, the yeah. remainder. So maybe, maybe 52 months. Yep. But the point is, is that, you know, the attorney in, the, in that case was like a deer in the headlights. They had not done the math and they were just, trusting what the trustee told them and i and how would, you know how would you feel making that call to your client uh your payment's going up 150 dollars, and i can't tell you why but you got to pay it for the next four years which comes out to 48 payments times 150 dollars, which is roughly what nine thousand dollars no seventy five hundred dollars something like that i can't tell you why but you're going to pay that and I think that's the difference. Is it telling you why? Well, I've had exactly. to make a call going up. Because well, payments of one have thing to go up sometimes. No you, doubt. You made more money. You know, but but that's the difference. You have to be able to tell your client why is the payment going up. You know what? Your payment went up because you started making a thousand dollars more a month and the trustee I because the trustee I, I, I said brag, so. I gotta brag here on, on Mr. Feynman, you know, over a case just recently. Guys making overtime. I feel like the world's going to come to an end. He disagreed yeah. with him? 
he's gonna brag on compliment him. him. So, it's, so, uh, well, let's let the record reflect. The reason we got these two clowns in here <laughs> is because they never agree on anything, and when they do agree on something, but they it's have scary. Been lately. I think we can count them on the number on our hands in the past couple months where they've count yeah. they've agreed. When one brags on the other, holy crap! Watch out, the lightning bolts are about to start flying. No. But, but here was the scenario. The scenario <laughs> he just was. Ignores us. <laughs> the, the, the... <laughs> So the, so the situation was this: the, the trustee wants to pay. You know, guy works in a, not who the client worked in a healthcare field. So, you know, what's going on in the healthcare field right now? COVID, overtime, overtime, overtime. Who knows how long that lasts? But right now, overtime income's going way up. More disposable income, more disposable income, and the trustee says, "I want every dollar that you're going to get from overtime. Every dollar that you're getting from overtime, I want you to have to pay to your creditors." Let's remember what overtime is. That's time away from your personal life. Yeah. And, and so it, it's it's working for free. <laughs> that That's what basically what was coming down is the trustee says, not only do I want you to work 40 hours, I want you to keep working 60 hours so that you can work for free so I can take all of that extra money and well, give it to your credit. To be clear, the trustee cannot force you to work. Correct. That's one thing he can't do. And that's not one thing he was saying. What he was saying is if he works, yeah. I get it. Yeah. And my discussion with him was hand on the head what incentive are you even offering him to work more wouldn't you be better off saying 50 50 because the creditors benefit if he does it and he benefits if he does it everybody wins so So he took it back to the the trustees council took it back to the trustee before the hearing comes back to me and says no deal on the overtime okay so what do we do? We go to the cheering for the judge. The judge understands right away sure. my point and asks me, so what is your proposal? I said 25%. And the judge automatically said, I think that's a great number. So the trustee basically walked away from 50-50 to get 75 to the debt or 25. And, and, and my point on bragging him on him before he wanted to just brag on himself there. Um, <laughs> you know, it wasn't so much that he got an extra 25%. It's that no other attorney in, in that courtroom would have ever made that argument. They would have agreed and said, trustee, you get 100% of the overtime. And not only did Dave get 50-50, he got 75-25 in the client's favor. And, and that's the big difference. Thanks again for tuning in, and don't forget to subscribe anywhere you listen.